1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read the first 11 verses. Um, and we're going to sort of be into an overview. Uh, and then as I was going to overview 15, it dawned on me that we should probably overview the New Testament. <coughs> Sorry. Right. Well, you guys thought we were almost done with this book? <coughs> what? There's 58 verses in this chapter. This is the longest chapter in the book. You didn't really think we were close to done, did you? Gee whiz, we got another, what, two and a half, three years in 15. <laughs> so let's read the first 11 and then pray. <laughs> now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received in which you also stand by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain." I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Father, help us to hear. And Lord, um, in such a chaotic season, uh, Father, in such a time when man is seeking knowledge and wisdom and father his arrogance is growing and growing uh, father i pray that we listen to what the apostle paul says here and that we understand the importance of this and father you will help us you will help us to stand you will help us to cling fast and that the word will not go forth in vain to we who have ears to hear. Father, let us draw to this text. And let us understand. To your glory and praise. Amen. All right, there are 58 verses. So it's going to take a while. All right, but I 
I think that there is a time that we have completely forgot how critical this is. Uh, we think about it just a few weeks ago. We celebrated Easter and we got our little baskets, some of us, and little chocolate rabbits and whatever else uh, that you may have uh, enticed yourself with. Perhaps it was the great Gentile pleasure of the sliced ham um, and, and a handful of deviled eggs, perhaps, to celebrate what? I was reading Linsky, and he made this statement. The resurrection is the cornerstone of Christian theology, unquote. It demands a careful look. We are talking about the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Uh, and, I, and I went back to the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, and Job asked a question, fascinating question. If a man dies, shall he live again? Um, you know what? Job ain't the only one asking that question. Um, every human being who has a functioning brain ask about immortality. It will confront them at some time. Um, I remember um, my first several confrontations with immortality uh, were in high school. Um, and, um, you know, with the death of my father, uh, the death of uh, an uncle, uh, I remember some guys that um, that I ran with. Uh, one was killed in a car wreck. Another one I played football with. He hung himself. Uh, and you you sit there and you say, "Whoa, what is this?" Death will cross our minds. I, I mean, and it may be something as simple as a pet, but you will deal with immortality. You will be confronted with it. And most of us in this room have been confronted with it in already in our lives. And sometimes it's just a fleeting thought. But sometimes it's very personal. Is there life after death? See, now listen, there are some on the planet today that don't believe there is life after death. But let me share with you something. They still wrestled with the question. They may have concluded that there's nothing after this. You, you die and then that entity ceases to exist. And you hear terms of let us leave a legacy. Let us leave something to be known for. Why? Because I am just going to be out of here. But what Paul's doing here in chapter 15, and if you think about this, it's really kind of cool. Because in chapters 11 through 14, he's dealing with when you come together as a body of people. Okay? But there was something going on. And, and this was the reason that, that I felt like I needed to kind of get a bigger picture of the resurrection. is because this is a church, people. This is not a collection of pagans calling them a church. This is a church. 
There are believers in this church. But if you look at verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, look what he says. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, now listen, people will say, well, is this a doctrinal issue? Um, I, I do not believe it is a doctrinal issue. I believe that a seed had been sown. And he crushes it with chapter 15. He doesn't want this thing. You ever seen a seed uh, that it, 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 it looks like a seed and all of a sudden it splits? Okay, and as it splits, then the, the, the growth inside comes forth. Okay, he doesn't even want this thing to split. And he comes crashing down on anyone who would make any even think it that there is no resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? Has anybody here met somebody who's been raised from the dead? No. Hmm. Then why do we believe this? I've never met anybody who's been raised from the dead. Paul is very quick and very stern in dealing with someone. How do you say there is no resurrection of the dead? To deny the resurrection of Christ Jesus is to destroy the entire basis of the Christian faith. Did you get that? It's, this isn't a slight error. Okay? And yet it is strong today in the church. Okay? Let me, now, I want you to think. This is more of a thinking time today. You're going to have to think with me. When you think about the Christian faith, when you think about what we believe, all right? Do you understand that the Christian faith, now listen carefully and think with me, all right? The Christian faith is not based primarily on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Gandhi taught well, very, very well, articulated extraordinarily well Buddha did also and their teachings all three men's teachings would almost line up the Christian faith is not based on the life of Christ the Christian faith is not based on the compassion of Christ Jesus the Christian faith is not even based on the miracles of Christ Jesus. The Christian faith is not even based on the death of Christ Jesus. The Christian faith is based on all of those things coming together at the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Listen, he don't come out of the grave 
It means nothing. It me- Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, I'm not talking about a spiritual resurrection. If that body does not come out of the tomb, his teachings are no different than Bill Shakespeare or Will Rogers or William F. Buckley. He ain't. His life is no better than Gandhi. His miracles would be no different than any charlatan that's ever walked the planet doing tricks. If he doesn't come out of the grave, listen, if you don't have the resurrection, then you destroy the teachings of Christ Jesus. If you do not have a resurrection, you destroy the life of Christ. If you do not have a resurrection, you destroy the compassion of Christ. If you do not have a resurrection, I don't care about the miracles of Christ. If you do not have a resurrection, I do not care about the death of Christ. Many men have died on behalf of their friends. Paul knew, Paul knew how important the resurrection was. Okay? And you know what? We should. We should. But you know what? I've watched the church and we're a little flippant with it. We're a little loose with it. We don't really see an issue with it. And yet I don't believe that we understand the danger that you get when you get in it. It's, it's like this. Do you understand this? And I want you to grab this. I watch people chasing stuff. Okay. Now I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about Christians are chasing, chasing things. You know what they're wanting? Blessings. I, I, I want, I want, I want to be happy. I want to be happy with my kids. I want to be happy with my spouse. I, I, I want my job to be happy. I want, I want to smile and skip and, and, and be like, what's her name on uh, singing on the mountaintop? Sound of music, Julie Andrews. All right? And just, la, 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 and that's it. I know. You go up on the mountaintop and sing, would you? <laughs> Can you do it in the winter when the flowers won't hear you? All right, but, but do you see what I'm saying? Ain't that true? We are pursuing and we long for make me happy. Let me ask you a question. Does eternal life make you happy? And if he never gave you anything except eternal life, are you content or no? I want to be happy. Let me tell you something. Without the resurrection, I don't care what you got. And he had to prove to you that he had eternal life. And how did he prove it? By being raised from the dead. It is given to man to die once, never again. And so the tomb is empty. I've been there. Dude, I have been on the land of Israel. They've got a church or a shrine for everything. Everything. I mean, they have a church. Actually, they have two. The Orthodox like to have theirs and the Catholics have theirs. And the Orthodox claim that theirs is right and the Catholics claim that theirs is right. But there is a church where Stephen was stoned. 
There is a church at Mount of Olives. You can go in and for about 15 or 20 shekels, you can go in and kiss the tree where Jesus wept. There is, there is a, a church at the, uh, at the Mount of the Transfiguration. There is a church on the, where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. You name it, there is a church. And, and the, the one that I like is Absalom's pillar. Do you know who Absalom is? David's son. And, and, the, and it's Absalom's pillar. And if you have a rebellious kid, you take them down there and smack their heads against it. <laughs> what? I think that's cool. Line them up. They don't have a gang problem in Israel. They just took Bobby down to Absalom's pillar and beat the stew out of him. And everybody cheered. <laughs> but but I, I share that with you that if we had his body, we would we've got a church of the Holy Sepulcher. And it's a church that's built around, guess what? The tomb. And guess what? It is packed with people. Live. All wanting to look at where he laid. There ain't nobody. You can pay 10 shekels and you can reach up and you can touch the hole where the cross supposedly was stuck in the ground for 10 shekels. And then, then the one that creeps me out. They've taken a concrete saw and they've cut the rock where the body of Christ laid. All right, so it's this big slab. And they carried it out, so it's out where everybody can, and they, they surround it with incense and candles, and you stand in line so you can kiss the stone. Yuck. All of them sliming people. Yuck. The resurrection is important, people. It's the longest chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. It deals with the resurrection. It deals with life after death. And he does it in uh, phenomenal ways. And he starts out with the first 11 verses is the proof of the resurrection. Listen, I set out about 20 some odd years ago to find a contradiction in the scriptures. And you know where I started to get my, I wanted to, I listen, I'll be honest with you. I was there to attack the scriptures. I was there in a full out elongated assault against what the Bible teaches. That's what motivated me. And you guys went, I thought you was, no, it wasn't pure in its motives. And you know where I attacked first? The weakest link that exists in Scripture. The resurrection of the dead. I ain't never seen anybody raised from the dead. I ain't never heard of anybody raised from the dead. And the only time it's ever been mentioned is in this silly book. So that should be the easiest flaw. And yet it is the ironcladest case of anything in Scripture. There ain't nobody. Okay, not only that, the key to it for me was this. You got 12 guys. And let's be realistic. I, you wouldn't take these 12 and say it's the cream of the crop. Right? I mean, there's part of you would look at it and say, who picked these 12? This had to be done by lottery or something. You just, uh-oh. 
Because there wasn't any of them that you would say, boy, I'm glad I got that one. But I looked at that and I I went specifically to the night of his arrest. And all I saw was a huge group of cowardice men. Cowards. Absolute cowards. You have hung out with this guy for three years. You have seen things that boggles the mind. And when they come to arrest him, you guys vanish and Peter sticks around. And yet he gets his best conclusion. I don't know him. I'll take a vow. I don't know. him. That is bizarre. That is bizarre. You know what's amazing about that? A few days later, they're willing to die for that dead man. Wait a minute. You won't fight for him when he's alive? And now all of a sudden, the sermon at Pentecost, do you know who it was in front of? The people who had just executed Jesus Christ 40 days earlier. It wasn't like 25 years and um, I'm here as a representative of Jesus. Uh, I know some of you don't remember. The whole town's still full of the Passover people. And he goes straight before the Sanhedrin and says, You men of Israel who murdered Messiah. Wow. Why would he do that? And we all do the pie in the eye sky thing. The Holy Spirit had come in the upper room. No, man. They seen a guy get up out of the grave. What were they worried about? What were they worried about? Thomas, touch my side, touch my hand, touch my feet. (gasps) It's real. Uh oh. That's how important this is. It's a little more important than that, actually. It's it's like a, I heard an illustration one time. Um, a blind boy um, was flying a kite. Okay, and his friend comes up to him and says, "You're blind. How do you know that you even got the bugger up in the air?" And the blind boy says, "Because the tug of the string." Your mortality tugs at every one of you. Every single one of you. Why do we go to the doctors all the time? Why are we worried about traveling and helmets and seatbelts and and, and stuff like that? Why do we do that? Did you ever think about that? Why do we eat or don't eat or should eat or feel guilty when we do eat or something? Why? Because I'm worried about my... Mortality, and then you hear it put this way. Well, I'm more concerned about the quality of life. Oh, give me a break. I ain't going to sit around and eat granolas and tell you that I'm having a better quality of life. I'm eating meat and potatoes, as much pepper I can get on either one of them, with a big old hunk of butter. Why? Because I'm worried about the quality of life. And that's purely opinion. 
but you guys worry about your quality. I'll worry about my quality, and we'll all worry about it together, all right? Never heard silliness in my life. I want to tell you about the resurrection. Here's a text that Jesus gives us in the Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the 20, it's like the 25th chapter, verse 46. <clears throat> and he's speaking um, in the context. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and with all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations shall be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a sheep, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Okay, that's verse 31 is the context of what he's talking about, and he concludes this this way. This is his statement. These will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. You know what he just said? Everybody is resurrected. If you're human, you get to experience resurrection. Okay? It's like the blind kid flying the kite. It tugs at us. It tugs at us. Sometimes it yanks on us. But it's always there. It's just sort of a, 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 a poking at times. Hey, what about your mortality? So when you think about the resurrection, when in, in the weeks to come, we're going to be dealing with the positive side of it. But I want you to hold over here in your thought that there is a negative side to the resurrection. All right, because we're both, do you know that every human being, without getting into a lot of scripture, because I've got more to go through, I want to go through the whole book of Acts, um, the, the whole thing, but do you understand that every human being receives a resurrected body? You know what I mean by resurrected body? Imperishable. Imperishable. You know what that means? Can't perish. You will all receive a resurrected body. The problem is some receive a resurrected body that is imperishable so it can suffer for eternity. Do you understand that? See, the human body has an amazing capability to withstand pain. But do you realize that pain at some point can kill the body? But in the resurrection, it can't. That would be the negative side of resurrection. That would be the negative side of immortality. <laughs> All right? Jesus rose, and because he lives, you shall live also. Now go over to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> what is happening here? is the men have gathered in the upper room and because of the demise and rejection of the person Judas, they need to replace Judas. They want a 12th member to be of the disciples. All right? And what you have here is the proceedings that they go through, the qualifications that they demanded of the original 12. And I want you to look at one of the original qualifications for the original 12 
Therefore, it is necessary that of the men, verse 21, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. All right. So one of the qualifications for the original, for, for the replacement of Judas was he had to be with Jesus for the three year ministry. Okay. There was a big bunch of group people hung around on that one. We can see that. Look at the second part. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness uh, with us of what? They had to witness the resurrection. The resurrection. I'm thinking that that might be key. What do you think? Move on over. Just one chapter, chapter 2. Peter's sermon, verse 14. This is where he starts. Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. All right? The Holy Spirit has come down. Everybody's got the ability to speak a language that they didn't know. And he says, This is to fulfill what was written by the prophet Joel. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God and with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. What's the center of Peter's sermon? There were 3,000 people saved at this sermon on the basis of what? Freedom from the agony of death. How does freedom from the agony of death take place? Only by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only way. You do not have that, then death has its grip on humanity. You look at a person who is saved, you look at a person who is not saved, and a true Christian, a true Christian is not afraid of death. They even at times will long for it. Did you guys hear that Moses died? Oh, sorry. Charlton Heston died. Anyway. Um, <laughs> where did that come from? Anyway, it's in my notes. No, just kidding. <laughs> what have you been studying? I share that with you because I want you to understand. Do you understand what it means when you talk of the resurrection? I am not talking about spiritual implications. I'm talking about a reality. A physical body died. It stopped. The blood separated. It coagulated in the low parts. It began a rotting process. In three days, God restored it and brought it out of the tomb. Why? So that you and I would not have a fear of death. How important is this? Acts chapter 17. 
I was going to go through every time it was mentioned in the book of Acts, and I thought, oh, we could be here for a long time. And so I didn't. This is Paul and Mars Hill. All the intellectuals are hanging out in Athens being intellectual. And Paul goes, and he says, I seen an idol to an unknown God. I know who he is. Okay, and everybody said, wow, cool. Verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, having furnished proof to all men, having furnished proof to all men. How did he prove to all men? I think a resurrection is a little important. A body, physical resurrection is important. Is important. The intellectuals of the world were gathered on Mars Hill. And Paul says, this was affirmed that it was God because God did what? Raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, um, or 26, sorry. God miraculously preserves Paul's life, he's in Jerusalem. The Jews try to have him crucified, stoned, killed, anything they can do. And he literally brings a bunch of Romans together and they rescue him and take him down to the coastal area um, to await trial. And it's just amazing to really watch how God orchestrated that whole thing to get him out, to keep him from being, from perishing. Um, And he's been rescued by God. And then in verse 23, he's before Agrippa. In verse 23, it says, well, let's keep it here. So having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying both to the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said were going to take place, that the Christ, the Messiah, was to suffer. And by the reason of his resurrection from the dead. Do you see what he's saying here? He says, I don't want you to think this is some spiritual thing. This wasn't some mystical thing. He was raised from the dead. He would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That's good stuff right there. That is good stuff. How important is it? Romans chapter 10. In Romans 10, Paul shares his heart. This is the heart of a true evangelist. Uh, His heart for his people, Israel, the Jews. My heart's desire, verse 1, my prayers to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right, basically what he's just saying here is that what happens is you have people who have the book 
and they look at the book and they say, well, I'm not going to bow to what God's standard is because they'll use this argument. But that's God. So I will bring up a standard of righteousness that I can attain to, that I can live to, that I can hold other people to, and God will accept that because we did our best. We did our best. And that's basically what he's saying. Okay? But he says, you know what? Their Bible even says, Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That brings Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. That's a... Emmanuel, what is that? God is with you. The word is near you. Do not separate the word from God or God from his word. The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. What are you preaching, Paul? Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and what else? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, A person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. You get that? Let me ask you a question. You know, I I see this uh, on altar calls and and weird places like that. People say, well, just come up and say, Jesus is Lord. Because as soon as you say that, you're saved. Okay, all you have to do is say, Jesus is Lord. Because, see, it's impossible. It's, 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 It's flat out impossible for a human being to utter the words, Jesus is Lord, unless God makes them. Really? As long as they don't read one of them bumper stickers that says Jesus is Lord. Whoops. I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not saved. I ain't got nothing to do with it. You confess. When you read the word confess, you see this in 1 John, if I confess uh, that it is sin, God is faithful and just. And what that means is, no, 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 no. What it means is that confession is I am in agreement with Okay, if I confess my sins, first John teaches, all right, what it says is, you know what, Lord, you're right. This is a sin. That's what it means to confess it. All right, because um, look at pride. God says pride is a sin, but most of us what? Don't agree with that. But we don't, it's not really a sin. It's, it's sort of a slip. No, it's a sin. Why? Why did Satan get kicked out of heaven? Pride. Okay? You know, Satan's religion is humanism. It ain't Satanism. Then people embarrass him. It's humanism. Why? I can fix it if you give me the information. That's humanism. That is what Satan does. All right, so if I confess... 
that it's a sin, then I'm saying, Lord, this is a sin. Now take that same idea of confession. And here he says, you know what? You've had the law. You know what the book says. Now I have to ask you a question. Who is Jesus? Curious. What's that mean? Lord, really? Does he rule your life? Can a person look at your life and say that person there is a subject to the Lord Jesus Christ? He is a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you say yes, then I don't have to worry about the second part. If you say, you know what, I struggle with that, then I move to the second part. Do you know what the second part is? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? Be careful. Be real careful. A lot of people will easily say, yeah. Then let me ask you a question. Then what concern do you have? What worry do you have? If God can only raise people from the dead, what problem do you have he can't handle? That's a big verse right there. And it's more than saying, I believe Jesus is Lord. No. Do you believe he raised him from the dead? Then what stress do you have? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Well, what are they going to do? Kill you? What are you going to do? Die? Well, you're supposed to. For a Christian, death is what? A reward. Woohoo! I crossed the finish line. See what I'm trying to get at? Do you see why 1 Corinthians 15 is a little bit on the important side? Do you see why in this 16 chapter book, the largest chapter in the book is 15 and it has one topic? One topic. And it's really cool because he starts it out. He says, you know what? The church proves you guys being in Corinth proves the resurrection. Why? There ain't a church if there's no resurrection. He says, not only that, the scripture's been telling us for years there would be a resurrection. Not only that, we had eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And it was obvious by their lives that they saw a resurrection. You don't go from cowardice to bring it on, dude, unless people are getting out of the grave. And Paul says, you know what? I used to persecute the church until I witnessed the resurrection. Not only that, what is our message? The resurrection. The resurrection. Why? Because if I confess that Jesus is Lord 
And people can look at me and say, his life is ruled by the man, Jesus. Then you can know emphatically that he believes with the fiber of his being that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. He got up from the grave. The grave did not hold him. Sin no longer stings. Do you get that? Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. That is the resurrection, brothers and sisters. We need to understand that. I think that many of us... Either we don't understand it or we try to spiritualize it. Okay? And listen, you can't. You can't. And I'm, I'm first, I'll stand right in line. I have never seen anybody raised from the dead. But I do know this. If we had Jesus' body, we'd have a mega church on it. And somebody making a killing to take pictures here. Me and the corpse of Jesus. Well, look what we did with King Tut. Get real. I've seen it. We we worship anything. We got a headless body in the Vatican, and that's John the Baptist. Really? Oh, it was Paul. Oh, sorry. I mean, there was a whole bunch of people who lost their heads. Could be, you know. Anyway. Will Rogers. No. Uh, what was he doing in the Vatican? No. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? When you read this, we read this and we have our little Easter celebrations and probably 10 million people preached something out of the 15th chapter last two weeks ago. And you know what? I still would say that the majority of people do not even understand what they just heard. He's not in the ground. I've been there. We've got idols for everything. If we had his body, look what we're doing with a piece of burial cloth. Look, we have a cloth. It's it's Jesus. Really? How do you know? And I heard some clown, are we going to do a DNA test? Brilliant. You have his comb. It has some hair follicles on it. What? I mean, do you realize, what are you going to match it to? His body ain't here. Ay, you just sit there and go, my goodness, mankind, got to love him. Yeah, and, and you wonder why he called his sheep. And you wonder why sheep feel insulted. Make me a lamb chop. I don't want to be nothing like them people. Uh, but he's still trying to get at why. He ain't there. And he gives you here in just the first 11 verses more proof of the resurrection than we have of anything. And yet we cursory go over it. We just, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So now you see why I wanted to spend this Lord's Day to set aside, say, think about this. Because, listen, our faith is not based on His teachings. Our faith is not based on His life, His miracles. It ain't based on, it isn't even based on His death. 
Our faith is based on the fact that God raised him from the grave, meaning that the sacrifice was accepted. I receive this and the slate is clean for all who will believe. And if you see a person and they don't look like their life is controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ, back them up a step. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead bodily, physically, really? He's not there. And that makes him just a tad bit different than the rest of the really moral people that you've run into. He's not there. He's not there. That's how important this is. And Paul in 11 verses says, here's proof of the resurrection. Listen, think about what that statement is. Someone raised from the dead. But I mean, no, someone raised from the dead. I've been around dead people. I've been around them. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Jesus is not there. I know he's not there. I know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that. And because of that, then how can he not be your Lord? He's overcome death. Anybody else? Mohammed never overcome death. Confucius never overcome death. Krishna never overcame death. Buddha never overcame death. Actually, Buddha grew a tree. I still don't figure out what that means. They buried him in a tree grew. So he was reincarnated as a bush. None of them have ever overcome death. We are the only faith on the planet that says our founder, our leader lives. Still lives. And that's our message. And we get some of the responses that you get from Mars Hill or, or Agrippa. Yeah, when Agrippa's looked at him, he says, your learning has driven you mad. Why? Dead people are dead people. They don't go boating afterwards. Unless you're Greek and you have to put two corns on the eyes and you slide them across the river of death to pay the fare. If not, they stand there. Interesting concept there, isn't it? Greek mythology. You have to cross the river of death. And if someone doesn't stick a coin, either in your mouth or in your eyes, then you cannot pay the boat fare to get across to live with the gods. And that makes you cranky for eternity. Well, it does. Seeing all these people floating across over to go play with the gods, and you've got to stay there. I'd hijack a boat. Well, we'll give me that boat. I'm dead. What are you going to do? Kill me? <laughs> we'll probably end with that thought. I want you to think about the resurrection. Okay? It's physical. It's real. It's powerful. It is God's proof that the penalty has been paid for through my son. Don't forget that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you do on a consistent basis. Lord, and I thank you for the resurrection. Father, your proof 
that you were with that man, Jesus, that he is our Savior, that he is your son, and that, Father, even this moment, right now, he physically is seated next to you at your right hand, awaiting the moment that he will come and judge the sheep and the goats. Father, let us understand immortality. Let us understand it's positive, but Father, let us also be aware of it's negative. Father, may that be some of our motivation to try to show people the folly of life and that they do not want to pay the penalty forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the grave could not hold you. Thank you, Lord, that you have removed the sting of death from your people. Thank you. Thank you that by your resurrection, you have opened the ladder, the Jacob's ladder, the, the way unto the heavenly heavens that we may be with you. Thank you, Lord, that the penalty was paid, paid in full. It is finished. Thank you, Lord. To your praise and glory. Amen.